Hello, what is up? And welcome to another edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. Before we get started, buddy, I do want to apologize, first of all, for our tardiness this week. But there's a reason why I'm going to sound like I'm on the phone, and you're going to sound like you're on the phone, and it sounds like we're on an old AM radio signal. This is like firing up your old AM radio, listening at your bedside when you were trying to make sure your mom didn't know you had your radio underneath your pillow. That's what this broadcast is going to sound like, because unfortunately, the normal way we do this is uh, experiencing some uh, some hiccups. So I think we figured that doing it this way was better than not doing it at all. And if it is an issue, we completely understand if you don't listen this week. So in other words, shove it. It makes me wonder how they recorded podcasts back in the days when, you know, they tied two cups together with a piece of string. Like, how did they record podcasts back then? I don't know. People didn't get their their fill of the uh, string and can podcast. Uh, Well, how are you? Uh, You know, I had Flo's barbecue, so uh, it's hard to complain about anything in the world. It's true. I saw it on Instagram. You put out the photo, and I instantly was jealous and wanted to drive straight to Detroit to have dinner. We've said it on this podcast before, but that is, there are very few restaurants that I feel like are worthy of just driving to a completely different city two, three, four hours away. But Lowe's is up there with one. I, if, if my wife said, let's go on a road trip just for dinner, that would be one of the first places that popped into my head. And you're tough to please, so that, that says a lot. Well, I haven't had any bad luck there yet, knock on wood. True. Don't get Lord. the beef tenderloin in Toronto. <laughs> Lord knows that I have had my issues with that. Uh, well, yeah, you have nothing to complain about, and hopefully our listeners have nothing to complain about this week. But if you do, whatever, send them to Zach on Twitter. He will handle all complaints from here on out. Uh, this, uh, the past few days, though, and maybe our podcast falls in line with this, too, reminds me of a meme that uh, has – I've seen surface from time to time on various social media platforms that says, does anybody else, and I'm, I'm, of course, I don't remember exactly how it goes. I'm trying to sum it up as best I can. Does anybody else feel like their life plateaued in the summer of 2016 and then it's been all downhill ever since? Now, it's probably some seventh grader that came up with that meme, but the reason why I bring it up is why do I feel like the Indians are trying to recapture that thought? Because for them, they really would love to go back to the summer and fall of 2016, considering the latest of what we know now with Jose Ramirez and the likelihood that they're going to have to overcome yet another injury and try to recapture what they did in 2016 when they somehow found a way, despite many injuries to very important players, rode it all the way to the World Series. Yeah, the first person I thought of uh, when, when the Jose injury happened, the first person I thought of was Paul Hoynes because – I immediately went back to 2016 and thought about his column when he said the season was over, and lo and behold, the Indians went on this run where they made it to Game 7 of the World Series and had a 3-1 lead. Um, but I was thinking, like, the first thought was, hey, this team, and I know there's been turnover and a lot of these players aren't the same, um, but this this organization has held this, mantra and I I hate the cliches and I like that Shane Bieber said the other night that cliches are cliches for a reason but it's what we're dealt with it's it's what we have in front of us right now but um, it was funny last week in New York 
I don't remember why Paul Hoynes and I were talking about the. Remember when they clinched the division in Detroit in 2016? After that column had been written, after the players got pissed at him, after the teams just kept winning and defying the odds. Um, remember Corey Kluber sent out that tweet with a picture of where he photoshopped points his head onto like the Cavs when they were getting off the plane after they won the title. Remember that? Uh, now that you bring it up, I remember some, I don't remember exactly, but I remember something about that. Yeah. And it was just trolling Hoinsey because they clinched the division for the first time in nine years. And, um, you know, he said the season was over and, and I brought that up. I don't remember why, but it, it, it next thing we know, Jose Ramirez is probably out for the regular season and maybe the entire season, if there is a season beyond the regular season. And it's just, I think everyone is kind of of the same mindset that, like, it's going to have to be like 2016 if this team is to make some noise. And the way that they've battled back all summer anyway, I think I think they've shown they have the ingredients to overcome whatever's thrown their way. Um, but it's, it's not going to be easy. And it seems like with this franchise, every time they – except 2017 – although then Edwin Encarnacion got hurt during the ALDS. But it seems like almost every year they like they have some late-season adversity that they have to overcome. And it's just, it's unfortunate because of how Jose's season has unfolded and how he finally was showing flashes of that MVP candidate type hitter that he was the last couple of years. Just terrible timing. Um, but You know, a lot of people want to just say that it's doom and gloom and it's over, and I don't know. Have you been paying attention this year? Like, I think that's kind of, again, what do we say on this podcast every week? You make sweeping declarations too early, and a lot of times you come back to look foolish. So would it be a sweeping declaration to say that the, the division is not out of reach and it's foolish to say that it is? No, I mean, look, if they're, if they're four games back in a couple weeks after they've played the Twins six times, like, yeah, then it's probably over. But I, I don't understand that. It's three and a half games. And, like, if you really – like, people want to make such a big deal out of the schedules. I know the Twins still have a bunch of games against AL Central Patsies. Indians do, too. Not as many. But, like, if you really compare the schedules, they aren't that different. I mean – like, the Twins still have to go to Boston, and, I mean, I know the Indians have to play, like, Washington and Philly and Tampa, and there's, like, that the series in Washington in the season is just ridiculous on so many fronts, but it, it, they're, they're not that different. Like, the Twins play the White Sox a couple times, and the Indians play the White Sox, I think, once. Like, it, it's, I don't know, just let the teams play. And, and what's really going to decide this is if one team – like, obviously, for the Indians to win the division, they have to win at the bare minimum four of those six games against the Twins, probably five. But I, I think that's what's ultimately going to decide this. And I think if you're just going to call it on August 28th or whatever it is, that's, I don't understand the point of that. Like, like the Indians aren't – especially because the wild card is – I mean, it's three teams fighting for two spots pretty much if we want to eliminate Boston here. And it's, it's – I don't, it's not like you're just going to like 
stop focusing on the division and just like focus on the wild card. The wild card is something you just settle on if if you have to. Um, so I, it, you know, it's three and a half games. There's a month to go. It's we'll see. There's plenty of time and enough games remaining that I I don't understand why you would call it one way or the other. It, I'm well, not saying I, it's going to be easy. I, I, it, it's sure very challenging, but it's like, I mean, you can make up a game in one night. You just have to do that three times. So but, and the fact that they play each other six times, that kind of mitigates to me the differences in schedules, which, yes, the, the strength of schedule favors the Twins. But as you oh, yeah, said, it's they, not so uh, glaring that it is impossible to believe that three and a half the, the games big difference in the schedules, The big difference in the schedules came in August. That, that's what everyone was, like, when you were forecasting that, yeah. that's when it happened. When the Indians played the Red Sox, and the Yankees and the the Mets, while the Twins were playing KC and Detroit, that that's where the huge difference was. The, the Twins schedule in September is still a little bit easier, but it's not like people are making it out to be like the, the Twins are playing the Washington Generals and the Indians are playing the Monstars. Like that that's not what this is. The Indian schedule is more difficult, but it's not drastic by any measure. Well, the other thing that's, I guess in their favor, if you want to say anything about the timing being in their favor. Because it really is, and it seems like every year we're down at the ballpark watching somebody come back from some injury in some really weird simulated game setting that is nowhere, anywhere close to what a playoff team would want to be doing with their time. But whether it's been Josh Donaldson or Danny Salazar or Trevor Bauer, or I mean, the list goes on and on. Michael Brantley, Jan Gomes, guys that we are just following as the, the season concludes and seeing if they can make their way back. I mean, I, I kind of flash back to the Jan Gomes thing in 2016 where kind of is relatable to where Kluber was at this year. Where Gomes is what? In his last plate appearance? Yeah. Of his last? Uh, and by the way, Zach is uh, recording this in the middle of the Comerica Park press box. So that's why uh, it is what it is. Um, Jason Kipnis, home run. Another one? Spoiler alert, I got to uh, I gotta apologize to Kipnis. Right before the trade deadline, it said he was an, a part of the team that I think they should upgrade. Next been pretty okay, uh, so credit to him. Uh, anyway, getting back to the Gomes-Kluber thing. Kluber is in the very last bit of his rehab, and he's coming back, and then, of course, he gets hurt. But I bring it up because Gomes, they put this timetable on him, and within like three or four days of this timetable being established that he's probably done for the rest of the regular season and the rest of the postseason, we see him out there throwing to the bases. And we're thinking, what in the holy hell is this guy doing on the field? And somehow he was finding a way to beat the odds and make it back sooner. There's, not, there's nothing that says that Jose Ramirez can't do that. Five to seven weeks is kind of the safe assumption. And you hope it's closer to the five because then he would be able to come back and help at some point in the playoffs if the playoffs goes on long enough. But the one takeaway I had just from the locker room after it happened is, you know, we've been in many locker rooms after critical losses, uh, after crucial injuries, where it's kind of like a Morgan there. It is uh, very funeral-esque. Uh, not even Indians, but just over the years, we've been in other teams' locker rooms and other sports locker rooms, and we kind of know that feeling of when a team feels that sense of doom and gloom. 
there's nothing to say that them taking it well means they're going to play well down the stretch. It's not that closely related. Talent is going to ultimately win the day. But the fact that they kind of did take that Bieber attitude where it's like, ah, well, next man up, it sucks, but we've been through this before. Not a single player in there looked devastated. And I'm sure internally everyone was, but this team has been – through this so many times where it is just like another day at the office for them. Again, it, it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to weather the storm and that Yu Chang and Mike Freeman are going to be able to put third base together or whatever the plane ends up being, but it's all going to go swimmingly. But the fact that they have handled this adversity so many times, if there is a team that deserves benefit of the doubt over the past few years, it's these guys. They, they have beaten odds in ways that, None of us thought they really could. And even if you look at this season, the fact that they erased an 11 and a half game lead in the division is all the reason why they deserve some benefit of the doubt here and the ability to prove all of us wrong that they can't get back in the division race. Yeah, I mean, the calendar is on their side, actually, because September's rules are going to help them overcome a lot of things, or, or at least give them the opportunity to. I mean, you're going to be able to stock your pitching staff and, and not have to push starters or relievers really in like Terry Francona is going to be able to mix and match like crazy and put people in the best positions to succeed, um, especially with his bullpen. And and that's going to help. And, um, you know, and you're going to get extra hitters too. So you can be more liberal with your pinch hitting and just that stuff helps. It also helps that like, and this goes back to the schedule thing. You're going to face teams. It's interesting. The Indians are going into tonight when we're recording this. They're, what, 13-1 and one against the Tigers this year. And the impressive part of that is that, I mean, the Tigers have been terrible all season, but the Indians haven't played them in, a, I think, in a couple months, right? And they play them in, like, June, maybe? I, I, whatever it was. They have most of those games, the Tigers had Shane Green. They had Nicholas Castellanos. Like, they had their best players. Now they're playing out the string, and I don't think anyone who works for the Tigers wants to be here, let alone plays for the Tigers. And you're going to get that all across the league. Like the Indians are going to go to Anaheim in mid-September in between the two Minnesota series, and it's like, well, the Angels aren't playing for anything. And it's September, so they can play their young kids who they called up. And, like, you're going to get that. And so that helps them, too. Like when you're not playing – Minnesota and you're not playing Philly and Washington, you're going to play teams that are not trying to win. And so it's, I don't know. That's why you see teams like the Indians in 2013 when they went, what, 20 and six, something like that in September. And they won their last 10 in a row. And like, it helps when you're playing teams that are out of contention and you badly need to win. Like you can see the difference, not necessarily the effort, but just the difference in the urgency on the field. So that'll help them too. It's, you kind of see a lot of times the cream rise to the top in September, and we'll see if that'll be the Indians. If you reflect back in 2013, remember Matt Carson had a walk-off against the, at the time, lowly Astros that helped that 10-game win streak continue. Uh, beating up on the White Sox and hitting walk-offs like Giambi did, uh, things that did benefit them. So you're not off base there. The other thing that is, if there's anything you're going to, gravitate towards is the randomness of this game and how it happens over small sample sizes. They're not having to uh, play without Jose Ramirez for three months here and hope that they can withstand it 
after having to do it for essentially a month and trying to get to the playoffs without it. I don't know what happens beyond that, but the fact that you're talking about a month, crazier things can and have happened. So if you would rather, you would certainly much rather be trying to do that over one month as opposed to three months when you can maybe piece some things together and the difference isn't going to be as great. Certainly over the length of an entire season, the absence of a rec- just a typical Jose Ramirez is going to be reflected. Uh, over a month, you can maybe do some things to, to squeak by. And I'm just as interested as anybody to see uh, players like Yu Chang get a, a little bit more of an extended shot. Uh, we've heard so much about him in the minor leagues, and the numbers have kind of been so up and down. Tito refers to him as streaky, and that's probably as good a way as any to kind of encompass what he's been in his minor league career. We have all these fans that every night tell us Mike Freeman should get more of a shot. So here he goes. Here's more of an extended shot for Mike Freeman, too. Um, as much as I'm sure it is painful for Indians fans, as a baseball fan, I enjoy seeing when a team goes through something like what the Indians are going through. I, I love seeing how how players that you weren't necessarily counting on or believing in or didn't think that they were going to be much of anything, how they respond to uh, an opportunity, and I, and I also like to see how teams kind of piece things together when they aren't going A-plus smoothly. And it certainly is going to take some some incredible managing and probably some small sample size blessings for them to get through this month. Yeah, and look, Yu Chang and Mike Freeman don't have to be Jose Ramirez. I think that's that's kind of the key point. Well, that's here. good. <laughs> yeah. No, but people are people are. I think. Some take a simplistic pro- approach like that, and they think, you know, things will stay the status quo, but you replace one guy's production with another, and, yeah, you know, that's – like, it was like that's why the Indian – people wanted to declare the division rates over because of Jose's injury, and it's like that's not not so cut and dry. I mean, and I think we're seeing it, which, like, for the Indians to overcome Jose's injury, you need more – contributions from say Fran Mil Reyes. Yeah. You need Roberto Perez to get back on track at the plate. And if those things can happen, if others overperform, then you don't necessarily need these two guys who it would be asking way too much of to replace Jose Ramirez. You don't need them to be somebody they're not. And so we're seeing it. I mean Fran Mil Reyes, I know people wanted to run him out of town after 10 games in an Indian's uniform, and now you're seeing exactly why the Indians are so giddy that they, at least on paper right now, got far and away the best end of that three-team trade um, because they'll have Ramil Reyes for the next five seasons. Um, and he looks like he can be a guy who hits – I mean, he might hit 200 home runs before he hits free agency or before he gets to, to that final season under Indian's control. Um, and that's the sort of that's what you need you need a couple guys to get hot in September who maybe weren't before and that can make the difference 200 more home runs before the end of the month would certainly help cover the loss of Jose Ramirez I'm glad you brought brought up uh, the front mail though you're right a lot of people were basing any thought of him on a very, very small sample size. Had to remind people, hey, look look below the hood a little bit. Look at all the scores. I mean, you don't hit the ball as hard as he does, as often as he does. Yeah, the strikeouts are there. But I'm just like batted ball profile. You don't scorch the ball all around the field like he does. 
and 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 not be a feared hitter that hits the ball out of the park 35 to 40 times in a season. It's it's just based on the fact that he hits the ball hard. Yeah, I I don't know why you would abandon that profile within 10 to 15 games. I also think you're talking about a guy that had never in an extended part of his big league career been asked to DH regularly. Now he's switching leagues. He's with a new team, new pitchers, new ballparks, new everything. And he's handling a position that he's never handled before. And on the surface, it's easy to say, well, he's a DH. You just go up there and hit. What's so hard about that? Well, I think there's a, a nuance to that position that all young players have to adjust to that have never done it before. And there's a reason why a lot of teams don't always just want to stick a guy at DH when they haven't done it before or have never gone through prolonged stretches of it. And I think the one thing we're seeing with, with Fran Nill, and he, he talked about this on the recent homestand with us. Uh, I mean, you've spent some time, uh, a little bit more time with him as well, so probably having even a better indication of this. He just talked about how he used his time in New York. Would have been nice, nice to see him get at least one start in that series, but he didn't for whatever reason. And he was relegated a pinch hitter in that series. But during that series, he talked about how much time he spent in the cage. And in a regular game setting, everyone has got to get their opportunity in the cage. And so you're working around everyone else's schedules. You don't just, you don't always get to just do whatever you want for your craft. You have to be uh, you know, part of the whole team. And in New York, he didn't have to worry about that because the game's going on. He can go down in the, the cages and, and work exclusively with the hitting coaches and, and think through his, uh, what he's been doing wrong, what he can do better. And I think we're starting to see him. It's, it's certainly going to take longer than what we've seen so far, but I think you're starting to see him start to learn how to better use, utilize his time. And I, and I was thinking about that quote he had a couple of uh, days ago. I think it was on Sunday when he talked about the, the three run home run and, and how, uh, he approached that at bat. You know, a lot of guys, and you made the joke of it, <laughs> that yeah, you just go up there, oh, I'm just looking for a good pitch to hit and trying to keep the line moving. He gave probably the most insightful answer I've heard anybody give in a postgame setting in a long time. He talked about watching the pitcher play with Kennedy on film leading up to the, because he's a DH. He doesn't have to go play the field. So he knows that Kennedy is probably going to be up in the ninth inning. He can go down in the, in, and watch video. He can go in the cages. He can think of how he's going to attack him specifically in that bat that's coming up. No one else in the field gets to do that. He gets to do that. And through watching video and thinking about the scouting report a little bit, he settled on what he wanted to attack Kennedy with. And what do you know? He got up there with three run or two runs on base or two runners on base and this opportunity to tie the game. And he did. And I think you're seeing him, not only is he learning how to probably better utilize his time as a DH, but I think even just in this small sample, we're seeing how smart of a hitter he is. He is smart. He is polished. He has personality. Um, and he can hit. I mean, he's – it's – I don't want to start throwing superlatives out there. We've seen the guy for about a month. But, like, he was beloved in the San Diego clubhouse, like, and he had really close friends because that was a young team. They all came up through the minors together. Um, and it was a big loss for them. It, it, I think some people were surprised that they were so adamant about moving him. He knew he was either going to be traded to the Indians or, or to Tampa. Um, and he was kind of, not that he was surprised, but he was like, 
you know, it's tough when you're with one organization. He signed with them when he was 16. He was going to their their uh, facility in the Dominican to work out when he was 14. Like, he had been with that organization for a decade. And it's the only thing you ever know. You, you just assume you're going to play there for 20 years, and then you're traded and you come to these new surroundings on top of all the other stuff, on top of the on-field trying to learn new pitchers and learn new coaches and teammates and uh, ballparks and surroundings. And like you said, the designated hitter role, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. And so I think, you know, he, he said last night after the first game in the series, when he hit another three run Homer, which seems to be a specialty. Um, he, I asked him, I said, like, are you finally where you want to be comfort wise? And you can tell because he is anytime he talks to the media, you'll hear Puig hollering at him from one corner of the room and Tana hollering at him from another. And they're all laughing. Reyes is rolling his eyes at them and trying to stay focused on the question. And, um, but he said, he's like, you know, traffic lights, when it's red, you stop. When it's yellow, it's kind of in the middle. And when it's green, you have the green light, you're go, you go, you're feeling good. Nothing can stop you. And he said, I'm finally, I finally got into my green light. Um, and he's, he's not like questioning his mechanics question. I mean, you, look, he came to a new place and wanted to make a great first impression and he, he didn't. And then you, you're kind of playing catch up and you're looking up at the scoreboard and it's displaying your 142 average with two home runs and 15 games. And, you know, you're trying to hit a five run Homer every time you go out there. So Plus, I think Brian in Brunswick says that you suck. Yeah. <laughs> and remember no the, way that you're ever going to get any better. The first day he came to Cleveland and he spoke to the media, he said, he just wants Cleveland fans to love him. And I think this is a guy who cares, but he's like, like he's a really good person. I think I've gotten to spend a lot of time with him this week for something I'm working on in the coming days. And his life story is incredible. And you can tell he's, he's, so easy to root for and you can see I mean the kid's 24 years old and you can see why like teammates gravitate toward him I mean you you watch any of those videos like he used to sing Whitney Houston all the time in the Padres dugout and like even in post-game interviews on the field like he's a, a big goofball um but it's funny because he, he steps into the batter's box and like all he wants to do is punish the baseball and, and send it flying 400 and 70 feet into orbit so it's it's fun to watch I mean it, it's the Indians have not had many guys cut from his cloth over the years you think about like who in the lineup could you pencil down for 35 plus home runs every season and like there it's few and far between if we're just talking like the last 20 years 15 20 years um and he's one of those guys and it's exciting yeah I, all that that you've talked about the off the field stuff, the on the field stuff. I, I think he's an exciting talent that will be fun to watch him kind of blossom and grow and uh, find his footing within the organization over the next few years. Uh, like I said, the fact that he's already demonstrated that he's a smart hitter that he's talking about you know, seeing sliders and eliminating them because he knows he's going to go to the fastball next and sitting on a certain pitch and then just crushing it. Uh, that's exciting because when you pair that with the fact that it hits the ball 115 miles per hour on some nights and some occasions, that's, that's a dangerous thing. And it, he also said something on Sunday that I, uh, that I thought stuck out. The fact that he talked about, you know, how he's trying to get too far out in front and um, which essentially translates to 
he's out there leaping, trying to hit a home run every pitch he sees because he's with a new organization. He wants to establish himself, and maybe the offense isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing on any given night. And so he's trying too much. He's putting too much on himself, and that's kind of what – that's a, a very cliche thing, but that's kind of one way you can quantify it is it him talking about just trying to get out in front of every pitch and trying to crush it over the fence. And he essentially said to himself, no, I'm going to hit the ball hard no matter when I swing and make contact. So let's just work through the middle and let me drive the ball, you know, wherever way I got to go. If it's right center field, he certainly is capable of hitting the ball over the fence to any portion of the field. And I, I thought about it because it's something that people have talked about with Joey Gallo this year, obviously slowed down with injury, but having an incredible year for Texas. And he was a guy that just swung and missed all the time, but he had such elite bat skills when he actually made contact and he, he hit these rocket shots and it always made me think and I'm sure other people kind of thought this as well when you hit the ball that hard that consistently what's the difference between Gallo trying to swing as hard as he can and hitting the ball 118 miles per hour as opposed to maybe taking a little bit off and making really good contact and hitting the ball 114 miles per hour Maybe there isn't that big of a difference because he's probably going to hit the ball over the fence regardless. He's not hitting many wall back of the wall scrapers, right? And maybe Reyes is a similar guy where we see him throughout his career evolve, and I think strikeouts will always be part of his game. But can he evolve and strikeouts become a little bit less a part of his game because when he does swing and make contact, it's not like he has to sell out to hit the ball as hard as far as he does, and with. with what we're seeing the way the game has evolved with the ball carrying like it has and all the talk about the ball being different. If you are a little bit more of a contact hitter, could that benefit him? Yeah, I don't know. These are things that we'll see over the next five years, but I think it's going to be intriguing because when you roll it all together, um, this is a guy that I think will be a difference maker uh, until he's no longer wearing an Indian's uniform. Yeah. And it's how many years, were Indians fans justifiably shouting for a right-handed power bat. And now you don't have to – it's done. It's over. No more. <laughs> you got him. Uh, and he's also a great personality and super fun guy, and people love him. So he's he's got the Albert Bell, plus he's not an a-hole. <laughs> so, yeah, you but, can throw eggs at his house, and he won't try to run you over. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but it is a – in his Lamborghini. <laughs> it is a uh, uh, an interesting development considering what's going on with Ramirez. And, you know, we can talk about Freeman and Yu Chang and everyone else that has to pick up the slack. But the one guy that could make you – no one's going to make you forget the fact that you don't have a two-time all-star MVP finalist in your lineup, the guy that has been the hottest hitter on the team probably in the last uh, two months. But Reyes performing more like the thunderous bat that we certainly have seen him be. Uh, is a guy that can at least make it so you can get to whenever Ramirez comes back. And that at some point would be at the end of the year, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like, I mean, they played so well in June and they had Kipnis hitting fourth and like, like, like you can get hot. You don't have to have your team at 100% strength to do so. Obviously you'd prefer to, and there's probably a better chance of that happening if everyone is healthy and clicking, but you don't have to have that happen. So we'll see. It's it, it, why decide what's going to happen before it happens when you can just enjoy the journey. Enjoy it. Enjoy them for five years. It's like the rest of 
know what, never mind. We're in, we're in a good positive place. We're not going to drag it down. Um, speaking of positivity, the fact that Carlos Carrasco is knocking on the door, getting back, most likely on Sunday, you know, it always sort of made sense that it would be September 1st because it's the easiest way to make room for him on the roster. You don't got to send somebody out. You're going to have to make 40-man moves regardless for all these guys that are coming back that are on the 60-day disabled list. Uh, so that's complicated enough, but they, they could afford to be patient here and let him come back on his own terms and, and kind of work his way back. We say it every time, but uh, it's thrilling and amazing and heartwarming and inspirational that a guy who is battling the diagnosis that he had earlier this year, coming back from leukemia, is going to be pitching for a team trying to make its way back to the playoff race and, and hold on to their wild card spot, maybe more. But beyond all that, just from what he could mean for that bullpen, is also pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, the coolest part about it to me is there's a good chance whenever he pitches for the first time, and maybe it'll be Sunday, when he, whether it's trotting in from the bullpen, whether it's getting to the mound and taking the ball from Terry Francona and getting a pat on the ass from Jason Kipnis and Lindor, or maybe it's after he gets his first strikeout. Like he's, he's going to, he's not going to be able to withhold a smile. When he, he made his first appearance at Akron a couple of weeks ago, I think he struck out his first hitter and he smiles. Like he, he couldn't hold it back. Like just, how happy he was to get back to this place where he look when, when, when he first was diagnosed, he implored that the Indians include in their press release detailing what he was dealing with. Um, well, not detailing what he was dealing with, but detailing that he'd be out indefinitely. He said, look, include in there. I'm going to make it back this year. I'm going to pitch again in 2019. And the Indians did it. And I mean, who are they to say, <laughs> like, no, you're not. Um, but that's, you know, everyone has thought that that's kind of what has kept him going and like kept him positive and motivated. It's just that he could have that goal in mind where, no, like, I don't think he ever thought or the Indians ever thought he'd wind up being a, you know, a huge integral part of, of the bullpen. And, and who knows if he actually will, but like, I think a lot of, this was just, hey, you know, it's good for his peace of mind. Like, let's let him work out, do what he can, not push it too hard. But, you know, okay, well, like things are going well. Let's let him throw a little bit. Okay, like let's, you know, he can throw bullpens if he wants, like as long as he's feeling okay and he's motivated. And All right, hey, you know, everything's going well. We'll let him, let's let him throw an inning in Akron. Oh, what's that? He's throwing 97? Okay, well let's let him throw a few more times and see what happens. And maybe we have to change our thinking about this. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, it's what has kept him fueled throughout the summer. And the fact that he's going to come back is incredible. Like you said, you know, you almost feel like the, the results in the mound are secondary. I don't think the Indians are going to put him in a position to fail, especially at the beginning. You know, it's, this guy missed three months. And it wasn't like he missed three months, you know, with a broken arm like Kluber, who was still able to be mobile and do other things. Or, you know, with a – what did he have? He had the hamstring one year. I think he hurt in Detroit. And, like, you know, that didn't hurt his arm. His arm was still fresh. Like, it's not like that. So this is this is different. And 
it's just going to be so great seeing his reaction and mm-hmm. his teammates' reactions. And it's going to be special. Uh, you know, the cool thing, he, he lives in Tampa. So I'm assuming he's going to go down a day or two early. He's going to pitch Thursday. Maybe he'll fly down to Tampa Friday and he'll get to spend a couple of days at home and be around the team. I think that'll help too. Um, but it's, it's going to be this for a team that like has been through a ton, who seems dead multiple times this season, who like it still has a very daunting task ahead of it. Man, are there some fascinating storylines for this final month? Yeah, we wouldn't have it any other way with this team every year. Every year it's something, but never to this level before. And it is to the point where you are absolutely correct. And no matter what happens on the mound, that we are to this point with him in this position is incredible and inspirational for sure. And and you don't – I don't think you are going to see him run out into – high leverage situations in the eighth inning right off the rip. That would be probably unfair to him to just expect that he's going to be okay in a situation like that, having just come back from what he has come back from. But if he gives, I think if he even gives any indication that he is uh, capable of being that, then I don't think they'll, they'll shy away from it. And he could become an incredible weapon for this team. I know it's, it's probably going out way too far to even talk about that. But it is a reality. You're bringing, bringing him back because uh, of all the heartwarming stuff, but also because this team thinks he can help them win this year for the rest of, of September and, and hopefully beyond. And we've talked all season about a bullpen that is that a lot of people have, have doubted them. You and I kind of felt like they would be all right. Neither one of us thought that they would be best ERA in the league good. Yeah, and I think we both thought it was going to include John Edwards, Cody Anderson, yeah. Danny Salazar, and yeah, someone they trade for. No, no, I, I, I definitely had Whitgren, Goody, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Hunter Woods. Definitely, that's that's exactly the, the mix of guys that I thought. Uh, all of that said, if you can add a talent like that to the mix, um, he instantly improves the group that is. Uh, been able to piece it together very, very well to this point. But if if he is floating somewhere in the seventh or eighth inning and is able to give you an inning, an inning and a third, inning and two-thirds in the middle of these games, it's going to make it a lot easier to piece things together from a pitching standpoint. Yes. And, and yeah, I think you slowly build up his leverage of the situations. You put him in, let him pass certain tests, make sure he feels all right. And then you, you see where it goes. I mean, it, it, it's a luxury, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Terry Francona uses all these new pieces, how he doesn't have to necessarily lean on certain starting pitchers maybe a third time through the order. You can have a quick trigger and go to your bullpen since it'll have, who knows, 12, 13 relievers by the middle of the month. So it, there are certain ways they can manipulate things and use them to their advantage. You want to do a random inning of the day? I would love to. All right. This one was sent to me uh, on Twitter from one of our listeners, so we do appreciate it. Uh, I don't think this one's going to be too difficult, but it does. I think it is also easy to forget that he pits for the Indians, but there's your first clue. He's a pitcher. Tomo Oka. It is not Tomo Oka. He is a pitcher. He pitched for the Indians back in 2005. Uh, Kevin Miller. 
He pitched for the Indians in 47 games. He had a 2.08 ERA. He was really good for the Indians. In Bob Howery? It's not Bob Howery. Um, he pitched. He he pitched parts of twenty years in the major. Arthur League. Rhodes. It is Arthur Rhodes. You could have let me get to it a little bit slower. Sorry. You know this. We're after ratings here. We're trying to build it up properly. Uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, as our listener pointed out, it's easy to forget that he pitched for the Indians for that one year because he pitched for so long and for so many different teams. But you think of him with Baltimore and Seattle. He spent so many years with both of those teams. But he pitched. Parts of 20 years in the major league. He was really good. Remember his feud with Omar Vizquel? I do. Was it was over the earrings? Was that the yeah? Ear, Arthur, earrings? Omar said Arthur Rhodes' earrings were like blinding him when he was yeah. trying to bat. I think. Correct. Yes. Um, um, yeah, Arthur Rhodes was good. I mean, that 05 bullpen was loaded. Who else? Did they had didn't Bob Howery pitch for them? Who else I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, hold on. I'm pulling it up. All right, so Matt the, Miller, maybe? The 2005 rotation was Westbrook, Lee, Sabathia, Millwood, and Allerson. Uh, I mean, so you were getting really Did good they make all 152 of, starts? Trying to look here. How many other games were started? They had Jason Davis make four starts. Okay. I mean, they only had 17, according to baseball reference, 17 pitchers pitch for them this year. That's unbelievable. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Jason Davis made four starts. That was it. All the other guys made every other start. That is so <laughs> incredible. Uh, but the bullpen that year was Wickman at the back end uh, with a 247 ERA, 45 saves. Bob Howery, 247 ERA. He saved uh, a trio of games. He appeared in 79 different games for the Indians. David Risky was part of that bullpen. Yeah. Uh, 310 ERA over uh, 58 games. Betancourt, 279 ERA over 54 games. And Scott Sauerbeck also appeared in 58 games for the Indians that year. Well, he uh, also, wasn't disappearing behind Bushes. hey uh, Other pitches to appear for the Indians that year. Rhodes, Davis, Fernando Cabrera, Matt Miller, Jeremy Guthrie, Brian Tallett, and your favorite, as Sedano. That team was so. Not enough people know about how good that team was. That pitching staff was unbelievable. Yeah, it was very good. 361 team ERA, which ranked first in the American League. And. I mentioned uh, the starting five. Only Ellerton was really the, the weak link. He had a 461 ERA, but Westbrook, 449. Cliff Lee, 379. That was before the Cliff Lee breakout. Uh, Sabathia, 403. And Millwood, of course, was 286. He had that tremendous year with the Indians in 2005. Oh, Arthur Rhodes. Uh, the Indians finished 93-69, and 69, but of course we know didn't finish so well down the stretch. One sunny day away from a playoff spot. That's right. That damn sun. Any parting words for our listeners this week? No, I hopefully we'll have our uh, technology back in order 
next week. Uh, enjoy your holiday weekend. Enjoy Carlos Carrasco's return. And I don't want to give much away, but Scram El Reyes stuff is pretty fun. Had a nice long chat with him. And he's a storyteller. He's <laughs> Cleveland is. I mean, Cleveland is really going to fall in love with this guy, especially if he, you know, hits 45 bombs. But uh, he is special, and it's it's crazy to think you. I just I can't remember this team having that power threat where like I mean I think back to Sunday when they were down three in the ninth and it was like well you know he's swinging for the fences and you know that like if anyone's gonna just hit another one out he hit one last inning it's him and of course he did and it was like I mean it's that's such a good feeling to have in the lineup when you have that one guy who could just crush one at any time it doesn't matter who's pitching and it doesn't matter what the game situation is. Um, that's a nice feeling. The Indians haven't had that. I'm drawing a blank trying to think of like that prototype in their lineup. And that's again, probably why fans have been crying for a right-handed power bat for so long, but he's yeah. here. Enjoy him. No, don't yeah. end the podcast with me. Oh no. Damn it. I didn't mean it like that. Oh no. Uh, no, it is. I think, the type of profile he is. He is certainly a guy that will probably go through some lengthy cold spells throughout his Indians career. And I said, he's going to strike out a lot, uh, but man, you talk about the type of elite hard hit profile that he has on top of his age and how long you control him and his personality and the fact that his teammates love him. Uh, that's uh yeah, that's pretty, I have, can pretty can great. Can I add one thing? No, we're out of here. No, Yeah. go ahead. Um, like, so Terry Francona has said a couple times in the last week, like the worst thing, the worst thing you can have is a team that's out of the race in August and September because just like you trudge to the ballpark, you have nothing to play for, it's miserable, it's, you're beat up, and it's you're just waiting to get to the finish line. It's, I, I I keep looking at the Tigers lineup every game of the series, and like Ronnie Rodriguez, who is like the Indians lost him what in the Rule Five draft, I think to the Tigers a couple years ago. He's sitting cleanup tonight, and, like, it's bad. Gordon Beckham sitting second. But on top it's, of all of that, on, seriously, that Miguel Cabrera contract and seeing where oh. he's at right now in his career. Yeah, Ooh. and I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like, it doesn't matter how you do in the playoffs or, like, you need me to win a World Series. You, you can't let all this talent come through here over the course of however many years this run will last and not win one. I mean, the, the one thing about the 90s Indians that people remember first and foremost is that they fell short yeah. of the ultimate goal. But just I hope we can all appreciate getting to follow competitive. Like, I am privileged to be able to cover interesting baseball, competitive mm-hmm. baseball, because – there is nothing worse than watching a lineup like the Tigers are trotting out there for the last couple months of the season when they're already however many games under 500. Um, it's just like the slow death march toward the number one pick. Like that's it's brutal, and I don't know how fans can even show up here and sit and watch this and pay good money for it. It's it's rough, and I, I, it's you see like rebuilding, tanking. Like yes, it has its merits and sometimes it works out in the long run 
boy, those years going through it can be so brutal. And the city of Detroit is going to be experiencing this for at least a few more years. Yep. And that's what happens when you don't move your pieces when you needed to. And you end up holding on to guys that you shouldn't have. And you're putting yourself in a really bad spot. But move your pieces. We're not a Tigers podcast. We are a podcast covering the local Cleveland baseball team. And we'll be back next week. Until then, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. And if you'd like to support the show so that we can someday get better equipment than what we deal with. These cans and string won't last forever, so I do hope that you go support the podcast over at Anchor. You can find the links at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel on Twitter, or, of course, you can follow the podcast itself on Twitter, at Selby is Godcast. Until next week, we are out of here. See ya.